From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And here you are, back for another ride on the Cannabis Podcast. Welcome back. If this is your first visit, well, I hope you're going to enjoy yourself for the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. One never knows until it's actually finished how long it's going to be. We are going to talk about cannabis. Shouldn't be a surprise to you if you've been here before. And if you're just new, well, that's what this podcast is all about. In this episode, we have some questions about the lazy stoner stereotype. We discover that houseplant and canopy are parting ways. And survey says Canadians are supportive of cannabis retail stores. We get a sneak peek at Big Tobacco and how they're looking to cannabis for their next big payday. On Cultivar Corner, some local product with Organic Craft's Cherry Punch. And then we're going to have a heart-to-heart with ourselves about perceptions and how impactful they can be. All of that and more on Episode 77 of the Cannabis Podcast. In fact, we're going to start with those perceptions. After the last episode, when I talked about some kids in Victoria finding those high-dose edibles resulting in a call to 911, that story touched some nerves. Well, actually, it was in my comments after the story that I think really touched the nerves. I talked about the black market and the high-dose edibles available and what a problem it is to the legal market. I expressed my common thought that Health Canada needs to adjust the doses to reality. And in that statement, I denigrated some people working outside the legal market, and that was not my intent. I received a rather vitriolic email that described their concern with some of my words. And let me also start off by saying, this podcast is me getting stoned and talking about various things about cannabis. So if you're taking it really deeply, maybe you shouldn't. But I did appreciate what they raised. I responded to it and, and in fact, kept on the dialogue. And I realized that, in fact, it was true. I was not paying attention to the different perspectives that are out there. And what it made me realize is that there are really three cannabis realities in Canada. There's the original. The underground market where getting your supply through your long-trusted dealers still exists have absolutely no thought or or intent to go the legal route. That's basically how it always was before legalization. That still exists. Now, for definition, let's call that the black market. And then you have the gray market. Much like the folks who sent me that diatribe. They're not part of the legal world because they don't follow dosage guidelines, but they consider themselves critical in addressing the needs of many cannabis consumers. And they don't use knockoff packaging, and they're running legitimate businesses. And then there's the legalized world. What color should we give that? How about beige? Now, it's in this market that I'm focused on covering with the Cannabis Podcast. That was the decision I made on legalization October 17, 2018. I was so stoked after all those years that I wanted to cover what happens in the legalized market. That's where my focus is. My intent is not to denigrate or cause any concern or harm to anybody in either of those other two venues. You're welcome to it. If that's the way you want to play it, that's fine with me. Stay in your sandbox. But let me play in my sandbox. Because my sandbox is focused on the legal world in Canada 
And that's going to continue to be my focus. And let's get that focus because I thought it's time for an update, even though I just talked about it last episode. I promised you that I would give you an outlay of what the crop ended up being. Underneath me, you're hearing the sounds of me going through the process of burping each of my 12, no, 15 one-liter jars of cannabis. Now, that doesn't mean they're all filled to the brim because you need to leave some space in there for for movement of the bud so you can roll them around and get that cure really nice as they start to nug up. Ended up with just shy of a pound, maybe maybe an ounce or two short of a pound. Most of it was the blueberry big devil. That was three of the four plants, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> and the fourth plant was the Afghani, and I think there's about five or six ounces of that in the mix down there. Curing up really nicely, loving how it works. In fact, that was the inspiration for today's episode, was some of the blueberry big devil. Really, really a lot of red in the bud. Interesting bud structure, uh, quite loose compared to, to most of what we're dealing these days. So I found that interesting, but it has a pretty good bang for its buck. I'd have to say it was a success in terms of the output from what we got out of our plants. We're probably going to do some more next year. And for our first story today, we are going to CannabisHealth.com. And they have been putting out a lot of great information. If you want to find out a lot about cannabis, head to CannabisHealth.com. This story is The Lazy Stoner. Studies show evidence lacking for cannabis users slacking. The same way the lazy stoner is a stereotype you know. The stoned teenager whose motivation in school declines the more weed she smokes is a cautionary tale you've probably also heard of. Like most cautionary tales related to cannabis, however, the specter of cannabis amotivational syndrome is often based on more rumor than fact. For the past few years, Eilina Pacheco-Colon, clinical psychology doctoral student at Florida International University and clinical fellow at Harvard Medical School, has been persistent in trying to determine the hard facts about cannabis and motivation. The recent paper Pachenko Colon lead authored for the Journal of the International Neuropsychological Society is one in a series of close examinations of cannabis and motivation in adolescents. Its title, Evidence Lacking for Cannabis Users Slacking, sums up conclusions Pacheco Colon's research has been backing up for several years. There's a stereotype that has persisted, she says, recalling that when she first became fascinated by the topic, everywhere you'd look you'd read about amotivational syndrome. But when you tried to dig deeper, there wasn't much to support it. That's how I became interested in doing this research. The research has brought about results, she says, definitely prove the unmotivated stoner stereotype is far stronger than any evidence to support it. In the discussion sections of my articles, I feel a little of broken record. I keep saying the same things, but until we start addressing these points, I'm going to have to keep making them. In the Journal of the International Neuropsychological Society study of about 400 teenagers who were mostly already cannabis users, Pacheco Colon and her team made five waves of assessments every six months, asking research subjects to self-report answers to two different scales measuring motivation. What they found, she tells Cannabis Health, was that changing cannabis use did not lead to reductions in motivation, even though we saw levels of cannabis use increase significantly among our sample. There was no change in motivation associated with that. Higher levels of cannabis use at baseline also did not predict changes in motivation. The nature of the study was longitudinal rather than cross-sectional. 
meaning Pacheco Colon and her team wanted to be able to follow their teen cannabis users over time, rather than taking a snapshot of one moment for the 400 subjects. The self-assessment scales had, she says, a lot of subcomponents that allowed us to do fine-grained analysis. She and her team were aiming for finer understanding because the principal problem facing any researcher into cannabis and motivation is defining the terms of what constitutes the motivation in question. As soon as discussion moves to motivation, cautions Pacheco Colon, it's critical to define the terms of the study. There's behavioral components and there's cognitive components. Are we talking about effort? About willingness to work for a reward? Are we talking about persistence? Aspirations people have? The parallel process model of research the scholars used plotted cannabis use and motivation over time in order to determine their relationship at baseline and determine whether one variable predicted change in the other over time. But ultimately, after controlling for covariance, Pachenko Colon and her team concluded most associations were not significant. We found only a baseline association between cannabis use and valuing of school, which means at baseline, those kids who were using more cannabis were also reporting they valued school less. There are a variety of potential explanations for such an association. Pachenko Colon suggests some teenagers who value cannabis consumption don't necessarily align with traditional societal norms, including the desire to do well in school. But really, she says, there's no clear explanation. Where there are clearer suggestions of causation is in the relationship between heavy cannabis use and increases in depressive symptoms. A meta-analysis from 2014 found causal links in which people with very heavy cannabis use were likely to later develop depression, she explains, and it didn't matter what age they started heavy use. Roughly 7 of the 17 studies she reviewed in her 2019 Current Addiction Report, Systematic Review, Effects of Adolescent Cannabis Use on Motivation and Depression, indicated a causal relationship between cannabis and depression. Motivation and depression together are tricky, she says. Right now we think heavy cannabis use can cause depression, but we've hardly ever studied depression and motivation together. It's hard to say whether cannabis use is causing a reduction in motivation, which is a symptom of depression. Is that causing the increased depression symptoms? Or the reverse? Is cannabis use affecting depressive symptoms broadly? Which is why some studies are seeing a link between cannabis use and a motivation. There's some evidence that cannabis use might reduce reward sensitivity, which is not necessarily the same thing as motivation. It's more a matter of liking or not wanting. We still don't know whether that's because they're not motivated, whether it's because they're spending all their time getting high, or because they're self-medicating for mental health. Self-medication is one of the things we saw in some of the studies that looked at adolescent cannabis use and depression. Some of those studies did control for depression, but not all. In short, Pachenko Colon joins the entire sector in wanting to see more research on all these subjects. She acknowledges the limitations of self-reported studies, which only record what the people self-reporting are able to recognize themselves. Some interesting findings that kind of say what I think many always thought, that the stereotype of the stoner unmotivated and just sitting stoned alone in the basement because of their cannabis use may not be as true as some people think. And now let's turn to a partnership that is no more. Houseplant and Canopy Growth are concluding their strategic relationship in Canada. This story is from Newswire.ca. After three years of a successful joint venture, Houseplant and Canopy Growth Corporation have mutually agreed to end their relationship. 
The Canadian cannabis market has evolved substantially during this period, and the parties believe the time is right for the host plant brand to develop independently, while Canopy advances its focus on wholly owned brands for the Canadian market. The relationship between house plant and Canopy started in 2018, well ahead of Canadian legalization. Since that time, house plant and Canopy worked together to pave the way in defining a premium cannabis experience in a new market. During the course of their relationship, Houseplant has become a popular consumer brand in Canada and is currently a top 10 brand in the premium cannabis market in Ontario. Beverages are a highlight of the brand's success, with Houseplant Grapefruit notably obtaining the top-selling cannabis beverage spot in Canada, measured by units sold in its launch year. More than 1 million cans of Houseplant beverages were sold in Canada within the last year. The recent launch of Houseplant in the United States has given us a clear benchmark for what Houseplant stands for and how we plan to bring the brand to life globally, says Michael Moore, co-founder and CEO of Houseplant. While our collaboration with the Canopy team has been fruitful, and we continue to hold similar views on the opportunities ahead, we believe the time is right for us to focus on Houseplant independently. We're proud of our collaboration with Houseplant. Together, we've delivered high-quality and innovative products to Canadian consumers and played a critical role in defining the premium cannabis category in Canada, said Rande Kovacic. President and Chief Product Officer of Canopy Growth. As we move forward, Canopy will advance our focus on our wholly owned brands for the Canadian market, and we wish the houseplant team the best in their future endeavors. In Canada, some houseplant cannabis products will continue to be available to retailers through the end of September 2021. Houseplant plans to relaunch in the Canadian market in the future with products more consistent with its U.S. offerings. Canada is where it all started, for us as people and for the brand says Houseplant co-founder Seth Rogan. This is not an exit from the Canadian market, but a chance for us to evolve the brand. The relationship between Houseplant and Canopy did not extend into the U.S., and as a result, today's announcement will have no impact on the business in that market. Well, there you go. After a few years, Houseplant and Canopy growth parting ways so Seth can spend more time, well, I guess refocusing Houseplant to more of what the vision is in the United States, where they're growing weed like pancake ice. And we can't even get that here yet. So, the cannabis industry is constantly evolving. And by the way, Seth, if you ever want to come onto the podcast, I'm ready. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. Both of our corner today, we are both going on a bit of a discovery. And in fact, it's, for me, a local discovery. Because this was done by Organic Craft. And by everything I have been able to figure out, Organic Craft is in the North Okanagan, in the Vernon area. The information I have is from the web. It's from sheltermarket.ca, one of the places selling Organic Craft's Cherry Punch. And it is different than the information that is on my label. The label I have doesn't mention any shelter. It's just an organic craft label. And there's some discrepancies between what's on the web and what's actually on my label. And I'll cover up what those are. So terpenes, of course, first and foremost, love that more and more companies are starting to put the terpenes, not only which terpenes are on there, the order of precedence, and in fact, the total terpenes. And here's where the first piece of discrepancy comes for organic craft. On the label, the total terpene sitting at 3.49%, and in order, myrcene, caryophylline, limonene, 
osamine, and pinene. On the web, the terpenes, roughly the same, 3.68%, so a little higher, but completely different terpenes. Transcaryophylline, limonene, and farnesine are the top three terpenes when we're looking at it on the web. I find that's a bit of an odd thing, that there could be some discrepancy like that. Uh, but anyways, this is Cherry Punch. And again, based on further information that I have acquired or listened to or absorbed, when the myrcene levels are less than, I think it's around 0.5%, or 0.5, yeah, enough, 0.5%. If it's less than that in the myrcene, it's probably going to be a sativa. But if it's more than that, then it's good, in all likelihood, going to be an indica or leading towards an indica. The myrcene level, so the ter total terpenes on this, 3.49. And here's the breakdown. Myrcene, 1.55%. Caryophylline, 0.53%. Limonene, 0.38%. Osamine, 0.27%. And pinene, 0.21%. By my reckoning, this should be a fairly good indica. And we're about to pop the lid and see what the aroma with that 3.49% terpenes are. Oh, those are some pretty nice looking buds in there, I have to say. Let me pop one of those out. Get out the Juniors label. Very nicely, very nicely cured. I'm not seeing any tail leaves left on. I know as, as somebody who grows my own and does my own trimming, you can certainly see after you've cured your weed where you forgot to pull off some of the leaves. I'm not seeing any of that here. So very, very nicely dried, nicely cured as well. Let's take a peek and see what kind of trichome feels we got. Okay, fairly deep, fair amount of amber I'm seeing. Very similar, I'm happy to say, to the trichome fields that I was just looking at in some of my homegrown earlier today as I was going through the the burp process during its curing. So looking really nice. Uh, there's a lot of red hairs. Not seeing uh, anything other really than a predominant red and green across all of these buds. And we are on weight. In essence, I got two fairly significant buds and then a couple of popcorn buds to make up the 3.5 grams. Nice glass jar. Colored glass. So going to help preserve our cannabis a little bit better. So I appreciate that when companies are doing that. Thank you to Organic Craft for that. I think it's time we have a taste of this. I am curious. And luckily, I have the vaporizer all ready to go. In fact, I'm going to be smart. <laughs> the first time I think I've ever done that, I turned the vaporizer on while I prepare the material. So that by the time I'm actually ready to go, I can just pop it in and away we go. And of course, I will roll a joint so that we know that we're getting some good clean burn on that. The harshness, it's one of the reasons why I roll a joint. Also to check for any residuals that might be there and how black the ash could be. Breaking up nicely. Mm, more of an aroma profile as you break up that big bud. Break it up and it does need to go into the grinder me to get to the perspective I want to get to with this guy. That was all I needed though. So, you know, that did pay off because my vaporizer was already ready and I haven't even got the joint road yet. <laughs> I was encouraged uh, to give this one a try, talking about different strains. And as I said before, this is from the North Okanagan and really like to 
talk and feature the stuff that is directly from the Okanagan. I mean, BC Bud is BC Bud, but it's even more BC Bud when it's BC Local Bud. <laughs> I'm not sure that that'll actually catch on as a phrase. <laughs> I have the joint rolled. I've got enough to put into the vaporizer for a delightful little taste. And I tell you what, let's do the vaporizer first. Let's see what the taste of this Organicraft Cherry Punch is. And we haven't yet touched on the THC, and that is at in, on the website. Well, actually, well, that doesn't matter. It's what my jar says. So let's go to the total THC for me, and that is at 22.30%. And this is Organicraft Cherry Punch. Oh, as always, delightful, delightful flavor profiles when you use the vaporizer. And I'm just going to make sure that I've got it at the right temperature, and I do. Oh, yeah. That's very nice. So, what is Cherry Punch? Cherry Punch provides the aroma and potency of Cherry AK-47 with the unforgettable look of Purple Punch. I find it kind of funny that I didn't read this before. I took a peek at the buds and specifically did not note any any hints of purple. <laughs> I'm just pulling out my jeweler's loop again, actually just to use the, the light on it and see if I can detect more purple notes. I don't know, maybe I'm purple colorblind? I'm not seeing a lot of purple, but still nice weed so far. Uh, apparently, Cherry Punch does justice to the lineage by sporting an even stronger mouth-coating tart choke cherry flavor, much like sweet tart cherry. Okay? Hey, if they're going to put it right out there, I'm going to test it to the max. <laughs> Let's see if I can detect that sweet tart cherry. Well, I'm not picking up any in the vaporizer. By contrast, in what seem may be an odd task, let me see if there's any cherry notes when I smoke a joint. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that there are areas of uh, taste finesse <laughs> that my palate just doesn't go to. And I'm going to say that that's the, that's the issue here. It's not organic craft. And the fact that their cherry punch has that tart, sour cherry taste is that I can't detect it. <laughs> and in my bottle, I suspect that it's the osamine that's going to be giving those fruity flavors. But no, in terms of the cherry tartness, I'm going to have to give a pass to that one because I'm not feeling it. But I can tell you more about Organicraft. Organicraft is a craft cultivation facility located just outside Vernon. They produce a mix of high-end California exotics and a few BC staples brought in from the legacy market. Organicraft is staffed with some of the most experienced legacy market individuals in the Okanagan Valley, thus allowing for premium cannabis and large yields in small batch rooms. From the high-end nutrient solutions formulated by a 20-year master grower to the years of experience the trim and packaging team have, within the facility every task is carried out very strategically and passionately ultimately setting their product apart from others in the market. And you can be the judge of that, too, if you give Organicraft Cherry Punch a try. So, in the vaporizer, 
delightful taste. I need to give a bit more opportunity for the cherry punch to punch. Okay, I guess with more toast, I'm getting a bit more of a... I'm still going to call this a sweet, tart cherry. But there's definitely more happening in my mouth after each hit. And <clears throat> more importantly, what's happening within my endocannabinoid system? <coughs> How exactly are those CB1 receptors interfacing with the TAC and organic craft cherry punch? And it's funny, you know, you try to avoid coughing anytime you're smoking, but of course you're smoking and there's a propensity to cough. But I also have to say that when you are smoking cannabis and you do get a bit of a, a cough going on, suddenly the high is kind of there, like you shook your head up with that cough and you see your CP1 receptor said, whoa, 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 whoa. oh, oh, there we are. <laughs> Because I feel, after having a little bit of a coughing fit, that the Cherry AK-47 uh, part of the Cherry Punch has given me the punch that I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. A little bit of euphoria. Really a nice, nice feeling right now. I just, I feel really good. Um, not, it's not screwing around with my mind much. Still fairly clear-headed and able to tackle anything that I wanted to, so that would be nice. If I needed to do something right now, I could. But it's a pleasant high. A pleasant high that I'm hoping that extra amount of myrcene will be leading me into another relaxing evening. You know, you hear a lot of people who are having trouble sleeping these days. Well, I guess it's not just these days. It's been going on forever and ever, hasn't it? However, I digress. I've heard a lot of people that are having trouble sleeping, and, and I just can't fathom why they don't give cannabis dry. It just works so well for me. I I sleep really well. I, I muse often, you know, about all the various health concerns that people have today. And I mean, I'm, a, I'm an old dude who's in a fairly healthy body, and I don't take a lot of pills each day. Sure, I smoke cannabis every day, but I think that's one of the reasons why I don't have to take a lot of other pills. <laughs> Okay, a uh, significant digression since I'm here to do a cultivar corner on Organic Craft Cherry Punch. So, what say we wrap it up? We're looking at a terpene percentage on the bottle of 3.49%. Great glass bottle. Oh, delightful aroma inside that glass jar of the Cherry Punch Hybrid. THC sitting at 23%. And ah, Cherry Punch really did give me a punch. Hmm, let's think about this for a moment. Big tobacco. Always been popular with the people. Always concerned with the people's health, right? <laughs> How many generations have they got addicted to nicotine? Now we've got it happening in the vape world. Here's a story from 420 Intel that may speak a bit about the future. Cannabis is part of the future of big tobacco. When Philip Morris International CEO Jacob Olchek told the Mail on Sunday that the UK government should treat cigarettes like petrol cars and ban them in 10 years, many wondered why the world's biggest tobacco company would self-sabotage itself with such a draconian statement. However, a few days later, the British-American tobacco executive Kingsley Wheaton told BBC Radio 4's Today program 
that cannabis and its derivatives are part of the company's future. I think CBD vaping is part of the future. But the present challenge is reduced harm in tobacco and nicotine alternatives, encouraging people to switch, he said. Most statements from the top world's biggest tobacco companies reveal an ongoing business model shift to big tobacco. Also, they reveal a reaction to consumer trends. By taking into consideration the health impact of their products, tobacco companies are trying to show their efforts to get away from traditional tobacco cigarettes. Vapor and heated tobacco products have become a trend in recent years. The use of e-cigarettes among high school students increased from 11.7% to 27.5% between 2017 and 19. Such increase is driving overall tobacco use among high school students to 31.2%, according to a report by Truth Initiative, a non-profit tobacco control organization. Tobacco companies are increasingly moving into the so-called cessation products. In this space, e-cigarettes, vape products, and heated tobacco technologies work as switching or quitting tools to end the era of traditional cigarettes. But the business model shift to big tobacco is not only limited to provide new technologies. Companies have started to see in the cannabis industry a pick lock to get out from dependence on tobacco sales. The interest of tobacco companies in the cannabis industry grew up along with the increasing number of U.S. states that legalized cannabis. In 2016, PM invested $20 million in the Israeli pharmatech company Psych Medical, which developed a medical cannabis inhaler. In 2018, British multinational tobacco company Imperial Brands invested in Oxford Cannabinoid Technologies, OCT, a biopharmaceutical company focused on researching, developing, and licensing cannabinoid-based compounds and therapies. Along with Imperial Brands, Casa Verde Capital, CBC, the investment fund co-founded by the American rapper and cannabis entrepreneur Snoop Dogg, also invested in this pharmaceutical company. Altria Group, another giant tobacco company, agreed to buy a 45% stake in the Canadian cannabinoid company Cronus Group for about $1.8 billion in 2018. As the cannabis industry is moving further into the mainstream as more states legalize it for medical and recreational uses, tobacco companies are trying to diversify their products. The cannabis industry can also be considered a pioneer of diversification in these terms. Cannabis companies are already selling products that divert from the traditional consumption of cannabis, including vape-based cannabis products, edibles, oils, and beverages. However, the interest of big tobacco for cannabis is not limited to its recreational use. Imperial Brands' investment in the biopharmaceutical company OCT shows its interest in the medical segment of the cannabis industry. The interest of big tobacco in the cannabis industry is not only visible in business operations, but also through lobbying operations. As Cannabis Wire reported, tobacco company Altria lobbied on cannabis sales in Virginia. This achievement marks the first time that a tobacco company has lobbied on cannabis in the U.S., either at the state or federal level, according to Cannabis Wire. Big tobacco is increasingly becoming a player in the cannabis industry. However, it needs time to assess the weight of tobacco companies in the cannabis sector. Taking into consideration the hectic development of the cannabis regulatory framework, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And now we're looking at some research from Weed Maps, which is, of course, U.S.-based, but this is research into the Canadian cannabis market. And it shows that Canadians are now more likely to support the presence of cannabis retail stores in their community. 
This is a story from Stratcan.com. New research from U.S.-based Weed Maps shows that Canadians are now more likely to support the presence of cannabis retail stores in their community. The research released today comes from a commissioned study of 2,000 Canadians, asking an array of questions relating to cannabis and legalization. In regard to cannabis retail stores, the survey found that 40% of Canadians support legal cannabis stores in their communities, while 25% oppose them, and 35% neither support nor oppose them. In addition, Canadians with stores in their community were more likely to be supportive of them. What we found is that familiarity with cannabis retail engenders support. We are not seeing the backlash and negativity once expected when new retail stores open in neighborhoods, said Bridget Hennessy, VP of Government Relations for Weed Maps. Canadians with a cannabis store in their community are nearly twice as likely to express support for these stores than those who don't have a store in their community. We're also pleased to see that many of those who have visited retail locations describe their experience as being a positive one. The online survey was conducted by Canadian-based consulting group Navigator from January 13th to 19th this year, fielding questions from Canadians who were of legal age in their province. Although Canadians were split in their impression of the illegal cannabis sector, the 35% expressing a positive impression and another 32% expressing a negative one, 53% of respondents said they support legalization, with only 24% being opposed. Younger people tended to be more supportive of both the industry and of legalization, as were male respondents. Those in Quebec were the least likely to be supportive of either. Of the 80% of cannabis users who reported consuming cannabis prior to its legalization on October 17, 2018, 40% say their consumption has increased since that time, while 37% say their consumption has increased during the pandemic. This has been reflected in several other surveys as well, including Stats Canada. The survey also showed that most consumers report using edibles or smoking cannabis, 73% and 71% respectively. Similar to many other surveys, men were more likely to consume cannabis than women, use tends to decrease with age, and Quebec residents said they were the least likely to consume. Since legalization, 30% of respondents said they have purchased legal cannabis, while 10% have purchased cannabis through illicit channels. Only 7% of cannabis consumers said they only purchase from illicit channels. Consumers prefer purchasing cannabis in person, and many consumers say they are willing to drive up to 10 kilometers to visit a store, although many say they prefer buying online. In regard to the support for legal cannabis stores, the presence of legal stores matters. Those who were aware of a legal store in their community were more likely to have a positive impression of them, 47%, while those unaware of any in their community were more likely to have a negative impression, 24%. Of the 70% of survey respondents who said they were aware of a cannabis store in their community, 74% said they had not changed their opinion about legalization because of those stores. More than half, 58%, said they believe legal cannabis store owners have proven to be law-abiding good members of their community whose presence has not negatively impacted their neighborhoods. Support for cannabis lounges or cafes, though, saw less support, with 37% in support, 32% opposed, and 31% being neutral. And that's a good place to pause and consider that that should be the next step. And I've, I've heard some talk about this on Twitter and on Instagram the last week or so, that the next step in legalization has to be cannabis lounges. You can go to a bar and drink beer. (laughs) It's time we opened it up and had a lounge where we could go and smoke some cannabis. As always, if you have a comment about anything you hear on the Cannabis Podcast, 
please send a note to info at cannabispodcast.com. The same address will work if you have somebody to suggest for an interview. And there's some interesting interviews in the works. I'll give you more details as we get a bit closer to those. That wraps it up for episode 77 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.